As of today, Thursday, December the 3rd, nine bowl games that would normally feature FBS teams have been canceled. This college football season was supposed to have 43 bowl games, and now we're down to 34. Fortunately, none of the canceled bowls normally feature Big 12 teams. All of the New Year's six games are still on. Would be an absolute shocker if any of them were canceled. Unfortunately, what is not shocking is the news out today about the Rose Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl. Neither game will allow fans. The Fiesta Bowl, which is played in Glendale, Arizona, will allow players' families to attend the game. As for the Rose Bowl, which of course is in Pasadena, California, it asks for permission to allow a select number of fans and players' families to be allowed, but the request was denied based on California state and county guidelines. By the way, the Rose Bowl is a playoff semifinal this year. Remember the last time that happened? Of course you do. OU and Georgia played one of the greatest games in the college football playoff era. Grant was there. He says it was one of the greatest sports experiences of his life. Probably would have been the best one if Oklahoma would have won the game. Just picture for a second that OU-Georgia game without fans in the stands. Ugh, yuck. Two teams are going to play a playoff game this season at perhaps the best college football venue in the sport, and the atmosphere is going to be terrible. The biggest game of all of these kids' lives will feel like some sort of weird scrimmage in April or something, maybe even a spring game, but worse. Now, I suppose if Ohio State plays in the game, they'll be used to the uh, emptiness of the stadium, the Big Ten not allowing fans at all this year. But whichever SEC or ACC team plays in the Rose Bowl, all those players will look around that massive bowl stadium and think to themselves, we've been playing in front of people all season long. And now in the biggest game of the season, nobody's here. This is stupid. And it is stupid. The Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC have been playing football since September. Overwhelmingly with fans and with absolutely zero issues. I find it fascinating that decision makers can sit back and watch three different conferences all play football with crowds with no problems and then make the choice to disallow crowds in their own backyard. The Rose Bowl's announcement today ended with this sentence, quote, the safety and well-being of all those involved in the game remain the Tournament of Rose's top priority, end quote. Well, thanks for the clarification. I was under the impression that the Rose Bowl was anti-safety and anti-well-being. Using safety and health as a reasoning for denying fans doesn't make any sense when fans have been allowed in stadiums for months without any problems. But hey, at least everybody out there who doesn't like the idea of people in crowds at sporting events, those people will be happy with this decision. But something tells me very few, if any of those people, actually care about sports. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. All right, let's jump right into the show, scrapping the intro because, well, quite frankly, I didn't feel like editing one together today. So uh, don't ever accuse me of not being honest with you all out there. Uh, I also would like to tell all of you out there who continue to listen to this show and support the show, please leave us a rating and or a review on iTunes if you like listening to West of Everest. I'm, I'm not thrilled that our rating has dipped under five stars, and I'd like to get it back up to five out of five if possible, and uh, you all can help with that. Plus, I've been told that the more ratings and reviews that we get that are positive, obviously, uh, it helps grow the show. I'm not really sure how the analytics of that work, but uh, that's what I hear, and that's what I've been told. 
You can follow Grant on Twitter at GrantBenson25. I am at Lee Benson News 9. Also, make sure to like the West of Evers Facebook page if you're a big Facebook person and you want to connect with us on Facebook. Uh, last week, Grant and I were in the same room recording the show. Today, we are back in our normal places. I'm in Oklahoma City. Grant is in Minnesota. And it's cold where I am, so Grant, I'm guessing it's much, much colder where you are. Honestly, I have no idea. Probably. I don't know. We're in Minnesota. We're not allowed to leave the house in Minnesota. So, And I work from home, so oh. I, have not, I have not really left the house in a week or so. Uh, but yeah, it's December in Minnesota. It's probably cold, I would assume. Um, cold in, it's cold in Oklahoma, actually. I mean, I was, it, wasn't, it wasn't too long ago I was there, and it was, uh, it was sunny and beautiful. It seemed like every day I was there. Yeah, now it's like in the 30s or something. Uh, 30s or 40s, it's not great. God, where's my rundown? What a great start to the show today. Hold on, there it is. Uh, man, you know, it's always great whenever weather leads the show. That's boring. I shouldn't even have done that. That was bad. I, I apologize. I, I kind of feel like it. I kind of feel like that happens fairly often, actually. Be, it's, it's, mostly, it's mostly because of me, though. Yeah. It's just, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and sometimes they'll talk about the weather, the stars. It's like, just get into the show. I don't care about the weather where you are. You're right. It's like one of the, like, most, most of the time when people talk about weather, it's just small talk, and I hate small talk. Yeah, it's As I've gotten older in life, talk, yeah. it's, it, it's actually one of my biggest pet peeves. Small talk is such a waste of time. I hate it. Even if people are just being polite, just stop, please. <laughs> just be honest about it. Hey, listen, I know we could small talk right now, but I don't like it. So let's just, uh, let's not do it. Skip over it. We'll move on. Uh, did you read my opening take? I did. I did. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm actually glad you opened with that because before we, uh, before we got on the show today, I was going to tell you, you know, I think, I think the A topic in college football right now is, and probably what everyone kind of wants to hear us talk about, is just everything that's going on with COVID. Like I said, you know, before we got on, I'm not sure how much we're going to talk about Baylor because it's just, I mean... F- Quite frankly, that's not the most interesting thing going on in in the OU football world right now. Um, and of course, you know we don't. I don't want to bring this up, you know, next week in in case Baylor does like beat OU for whatever reason, and you know, saying that we're dismissing it, we're not. It's just, man, there's a lot of externalities with college football right now, and there's lots to talk about. And unfortunately, it seems like the games have taken a bit of a backseat to everything. So the Rose Bowl. You were there a few years ago. You talked about on the show about how awesome it was. Um, can you imagine what it would have been like? Well, obviously you wouldn't have been there, but uh, like think about all the atmosphere or the atmosphere of that game. You, you know, I've only watched it on television. Uh, what do you think it's going to be like for these players and coaches whenever they're playing in the Rose Bowl game and there's nobody sitting in the stands? I mean, all you got to do is just flip on a UCLA game from the last handful of season, like years and you'll <laughs> get a pretty good idea what it looks like. It doesn't look good. You know, the, the, the Rose Bowl on TV, when it's not, you know, painted, you know, when it's painted like UCLA and there's a bunch of empty seats, it doesn't, it doesn't look great at all. Um, I'm sure the TV product, I'm sure they'll probably try to, you know, limit the uh the quote-unquote crowd shots as much as possible to make it look good but no i mean as somebody who has actually been there has been you know at that game when it was a when it was a playoff semifinal and seeing all the people in the stands and everything around it being outside of the stadium just seeing the pageantry and how excited everybody is no i mean i think this is legitimately a sad day in college football and i think we knew that there weren't going to be any fans there that's fine but just sort of seeing it confirmed as kind of a 
it's kind of a shell shock a little bit. Um, if you know if if you think college football is important in your life and if it's a big deal to you, going there and actually being in Pasadena, being in the stadium for the Rose Bowl, it's it's kind of a religious experience. Uh, like experience, it really is. If you're if you take college football that seriously. And it, it does kind of make me sad that this season is, you know, that's not going to be the case this year. Um, this is not to say that, you know, I think they should just say, you know, screw the world and just and just go forward with a ton of fans. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't have uh, I don't have a solution to this at all. Maybe it's just one of those things where it's just it's this is just the COVID year and that's just how it is. But it's still kind of sad. You know, I, I you, you bring up a good point where, I you know, I don't. I don't think any massive outbreaks have been traced back to college football games this season. And if they have, you know, please correct me. I don't know. Um, but no, I, I, I don't really think there's really not a reason for there to be no fans at this game other than that's just what I, we've talked about this before. There's just based on your worldview, you think one way about COVID and other people think another way. And uh, this is, this is going to be good for, I mean, approximately 50% of the public who feels one way about it. Yeah, and all, all I got to say is just uh, have fans do what all these other stadiums have been doing. Personally, I, I, I think, it, I mean, I think, I think in Florida, I think Florida, you're, you're allowed to do whatever you want. I think Florida, in Florida now, you can have as many fans as you want. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if uh, maybe each venue is still like limiting. They probably are. I don't know. Um, but what I was going to say, though, is the Rose Bowl could just do what Oklahoma's been doing all year. I've been to two OU games so far this season, Missouri State and Kansas, going to be going to the Baylor game this Saturday. And it's it's weird with the stadium the way it is when it's not full, when it, it otherwise would be full. But it's still a lot better than if I was there at the game in the uh, Crow's Nest and I was looking around and it was totally empty, obviously. That would just be surreal. So that, that, that's the only thing. It's just it's. Even though it's not perfect with minimal fans, it's still an upgrade over absolutely zero fans, and uh, it's just uh, that's the decision that the that state's making, and it just happens to be that that you know one of the biggest games of the year happens in that state in Col- in California, as opposed to and and happens in this year like you know if the uh, if the uh, I guess Cotton Bowl was a playoff semifinal then there'd be no issues because i'd be in texas and i know the sugar bowl this year uh i I believe the sugar bowl is is planning on having limited fans at the other playoff game so it's just happenstance that the rose bowl is is um going to be a playoff game this year i know i think i saw some people on social media say hey why not why can't they just move it you know why can't they make a different game a playoff game this year then give the rose bowl back next year or something i mean i'm sure like it's logistically and schedule wise i know that a lot goes into Every one of these massive bowl games, so I'm sure that factors in. But but if there's uh, no I mean, fans, that, seems like that too compl- easy of a solution. That removes the yeah. largest logistic. And yeah, you said that before. Yeah, the that's show, the thing I don't understand. Um, if if you know if I if I was the CFP commissioner, that would be my first thing. Um, I I don't I don't see why they can't move the playoff off of the Rose Bowl this season. There's no fans. Who cares? Like I, I know and that the, would really like yeah. that would really make people in Big Ten country probably really happy if they moved if they moved the semifinal this year, and you know this is this is me yelling at clouds because it's not going to happen. Um, but oh, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, if if Ohio State makes that game and 
or makes yeah like that'd be like the one time Ohio State or Big Ten whatever fans can go to a game this year and then yeah they wouldn't be able to go I, I didn't even think of that yeah I just remember yeah. even you know when I was discussing things kind of at the beginning of the season with you know with some of my Minnesota brethren um you know, it's been a long time since Minnesota's played in a Rose Bowl and going into this season before the season actually started you know there was there's a lot of people who thought maybe Minnesota could compete for a Rose Bowl this season and uh, I, I mean, I talked to a, a lot of Gopher fans and a ton of them said that they would feel really cheated this season if they were to somehow win the Big Ten and weren't able to play in a Rose Bowl because it was, you know, because it was a semifinal game. And similarly, I would I, I got to think that they would also feel cheated if they did play in the Rose Bowl with no fans. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And, but maybe that's just one of those things you just got to get used to. This is just a weird year. And it's just how it is. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 really disappointing. It, it's disappointing, and I think it's it's obviously just going to be polarizing because because different parts of the country are are in different spots with the with the coronavirus. So, um, yeah, it's just it, it's unfortunate. Um, it, it's crazy to think. I mean, the Rose Bowl isn't actually is in less than a month. I know it's like because we're by this time we're we're kind of already done. Usually by this time of the season we're already done with the conference championship games and we just have to wait for the bowl games. So it's kind of weird to think there's still two weeks left of the regular season. Um, but yeah, I mean it makes sense. The Rose Bowl is in 29 days. So I yeah, I can't imagine California is gonna is gonna loosen their restrictions in 29 days. No. Uh, it's kind of a, a positive thing of the COVID season is that we're not going to have this ridiculously long break between the 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 championship games and all the bowl games. We're gonna like the Big Twelve title games. What's scheduled for the nineteenth? Then uh, the college football playoff is supposed to be like two weeks after that. I mean that. Hey, at least we're not because like that's one of the biggest things I lament of all these big games. The the gigantic layoff. It's just it it changes teams. Maybe I, I hate that layoff. Maybe one of the good things that comes from this season. Is that is that maybe they will push this stuff like two weeks back in the future, where so you only have ten or eleven days to prepare for your bowl game? Um, I don't think that would be terrible. I don't think that would be a terrible decision. Um, honestly, even like I, the thought of of playing a full twelve game schedule and building in like three or four buys for the teams, I don't think that's a terrible idea. Um, it's I don't it, mind it. It's I, not great for I don't the mind fans that in college, who love I don't to mind have it in NFL. Yeah, you know, I, I just. Looking, you know, looking more towards player safety and, and recovery time. It wouldn't surprise me if, if, if this is one of the shifts that we see, you know, in the new normal of college football. Yeah, anything that elongates football, I'm cool with because football, college and pro are the two shortest seasons of all the sports. I mean, it, it happens, it gets here and then it's gone in a blink of an eye. And so uh, I'm, I'm all for somehow elongating it if possible if you got to add bye weeks and stuff and it's, it, that, that's cool with me all right let's uh let's talk about oh you oh you got more to add no i was gonna say i mean kind of what's going on right now sort of shows i think early on in the season we were banging the drum saying i just i don't understand the logic of saying that we need to delay and start later in the season when yeah. you and i were saying <laughs> this is this is ridiculous you, they, you need to play as early as possible because every like i it's and, I, o, I think, and oh you knew that Oh, you was on top of it. You know, they petitioned to get that Missouri State game moved up, and they, they did. You're and right. And all that yeah. stuff happened. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. So it's just I maybe I'm, maybe I'm just going back to the well too many times. But yeah, I just I wish everyone could get on the same page. And it sucks. It sucks that like, I mean, the bit the a topic in college football right now is what do you do with a team like Ohio State? And it sucks. It sucks. They've only played four games. That really sucks. 
Sucks for everyone in that program. Sucks for every like all, all the players and whatnot. But it's just like that could have been easily avoided. Easily avoided. Easily. Let's uh, let's hang a. Uh you know, put the Ohio State college football playoff st- uh, talk. We'll save that for the end because um, we've talked too much about this now. We got to talk OU football because people come to this podcast to hear us talk about the Sooners, and we haven't really done that at all yet. So uh, we'll table the, the playoff talk. We'll save that for the end. So right now, let's get into Oklahoma. And uh, you may have seen our Facebook post uh, yesterday uh, as we're recording this on Thursday around 4 o'clock. Uh, we delayed the show by a day this week because we were just waiting uh, if we found out anything else about OU's chances of playing on Wednesday uh, because the previous Wednesday was the big day when everything got postponed, uh, the West Virginia game. So we thought, all right, uh, let's give it an extra day because if it comes out again that maybe they're not going to play, then we'll know we can talk about that. But nothing really happened on Wednesday, um, which is a good thing. Um, as far as I could tell, I, I didn't hear anything. Um, I, I didn't hear any news. So I'm assuming all the testing on Wednesday seemed it came back what they wanted. So that's probably a good sign. They still got to go through testing on Friday. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, so here we are talking about the game, talking about the game week. So that's why we delayed. Um, but, you know, before, let's see, I, I guess I know COVID's been the A topic, but around Oklahoma football this week, uh, Tuesday, a big time topic was the fact that Bob Stoops has been helping out at practice. And um, to me, it's one of those things where, oh, that's kind of neat. Like, obviously, Bob Stoops uh, is still part of Oklahoma's program. He's a special assistant to Joe Castiglione. He's been that ever since he retired. So it's not like he's been just away from the program. So I'm sure he, he hangs around all the time, I bet, whenever he wants to. He's Bob Stoops. He can go wherever, do whatever he wants. I, I can't imagine Lincoln Riley's ever saying, uh, Bob, yeah, no, just yeah that's that's not happening so i i would imagine bob soups has been out at practice a lot more than we probably even know but now you know they the twitter account should you know showed a picture of him on the field like you know standing around like he was coaching and um you know he's not according to the players it's not like he was coaching a position um i think uh, i think it was delarian turner yell said that he just was kind of out there going around just he wasn't specifically coaching any position up. He was just kind of you know, helping out whenever, you know, wherever he was needed. And Bob Stoops released a statement Tuesday night saying, hey, hold on a second, guys. I, they asked me to help out. I was like, sweet, let's do it, uh, whatever I can do. But let's, let's be real here. I, you know, people that are going to have influence on this game are the coaches and the players that have been around. I'm just going to do what I can to help out. And, you know, my influence will be minimal. Um, so for me, it's just kind of like, oh, that's kind of neat. And that's kind of it. Like, I'll, I'll certainly be interested to see if, if he's on the sidelines <laughs> on Saturday. That'll be kind of fun. Like, oh, there's Bob Stoops, and he's, like, not just here watching the game. He's technically a coach. That's kind of neat. But after that, to me, it's like, all right, well, he's not really going to have any sort of influence on this game at all. Uh, and it kind of just ends it that for me, whereas it seems like a lot of people maybe are thinking he's going to be, like, calling the plays or something. Or maybe I'm just being cynical. What are, you th- <laughs> what are your thoughts? Uh, I don't know. I... I- I think this is a fun little thing. I mean, when I first saw this, my like I, I kind of perked up a little bit just because I love Bob Stoops. I, I I'm I am a I'm an unabashed Bob Stoops partisan. I I love pretty much anything that has to do with Bob Stoops. Um. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not freaking out about it. I don't think he is. Like you said, I don't think he's going to be the defensive coordinator on Saturday, uh, Saturday night at all. But yeah, I think this is this is kind of a fun little thing. 
And you're right, like Bob Stoops' camp realized right away, oh, we better put something out there before this kind of, before people take this and sort of run with it. Because I've seen like, I, I, I feel like more people outside of OU circles have kind of made this m- more than what it really is. Because I feel like anyone who's kind of close to the program knows exactly what this is. Like obviously they, you know, it's not, it, it's, it's not really a secret right now that the defensive coaching staff has been hit pretty hard with the COVID. Um, and so I think everyone knows that it's just like, yeah, this guy has been around the program even the last three or four seasons. And so, yeah, of course, they're just he's, he's an extra body. They need extra bodies, and he's going to come in. And I think, I think it's, it's definitely just a fun little tidbit that it's Bob Stoops for sure. Um, but, yeah, no, I don't know. Bob Stoops being there is not, is not going to have any sort of massive impact on the game, I don't, at least I don't think. But I, 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 but also, like, I, I could easily see this, like, visual where, like, let's say, like, the defense plays really <laughs> well or something. I could definitely see, like a, like, a Twitter video going viral of them giving, like, Bob Stoops a game ball or something. And then everyone just sort <laughs> yeah. of makes, like, a big deal out of it. In fact, I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually calling my shot right now. At some point in time on Saturday night, we will see a Twitter video of Bob Stoops getting a game ball in the locker room and everyone going crazy. <laughs> Calling it now. And, 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 and Bob Stoops going crazy for a different reason of like, oh, come on, stop. Don't patronize me, guys. <laughs> like, honestly, it's one of those things that it feels like it's made for social media. If Twitter didn't exist, I don't even know yeah, if we is. would know about this. It is. And I mean, Lincoln Riley said it and he knew exactly what it was going to happen whenever he said that Stoops was out there. Um, he, he knew that it would kind of turn into a thing. But I mean, let's just be clear. I mean, you, you, kinda, you hinted at it a little bit, but the reason why he's out there is because uh, you know, Lincoln Riley talked about it on Tuesday. The, some of the staff, coaching staff, training staff, like the whole staff, I mean, people have, have been out because of COVID or contact tracing. And so the, they need some extra bodies on the practice field. So um, I have not heard anything this week as far as actual players and coaches and stuff i know that uh some of the pay sites and behind the scenes sites has names and stuff like that i have not heard anything i will say last week on on wednesday when everything shut down and by everything i mean the facility they closed the facility i had heard that uh, there was multiple positive tests within the program and that uh players and coaches were involved and i had heard that it was at that time uh, so again, this was a week ago, Wednesday. I had heard it was three coaches that had tested positive at that time. I don't know if that's changed. If it's if uh, you know one or two or all of those coaches have now recovered, and there's more coaches that have tested positive, or if the same three, I don't know. But you know, that's that's my week old kind of uh, information when it comes to the coaching staff. Uh, I will say Riley did mention that uh, on the conference call on Monday that he was asked if if uh, actual positive tests or contact tracing, you know, was the bigger concern. And he said, well, you know, of course, everything's a concern. But uh, I, he said that the positive tests were, were more of an issue than contact tracing, which I, I know that you're not, you, know, you don't, nobody's, you never want anybody to get COVID. You know, you're, that's kind of the way things are. But if positive tests are the main thing, Kids can test out of that and recover and be fine, whereas the contact tracing up until yesterday, that was the, the big one where it was 14 days, no question, you're out. And now the CDC has come out, and they have changed those guidelines with contact tracing. I guess Joe Castiglione talked about that Thursday, today, about how it's within the program they are recognizing the new CDC rules, which I believe has knocked it down to 10 days, I think. It was 10 days of contact tracing, and I think that you can... 
I think like if you're if you're unsym like if you don't have any symptoms for the first seven days, you can test out of it on the seventh day. But if you have symptoms, it's okay. ten. Yeah. Like yeah, it's. But yeah, I mean, it it goes back to the point that you made before the season is that a lot of these contact tracing protocols actually incentivize the players getting COVID and just getting it over with. Um, yeah, because if because at that point, I mean, the thought is, I mean, it's still a, it's a it's a new virus. We're still learning about it, but. You know, the thought is that you get it, you recover, and then, you know, maybe you can't get it again, or maybe it turns into like, you know, maybe this will end up being kind of like the flu where every single year there's a new flu shot and you can, you know, every, even if you get the flu one year, you can still get it again later. But if you get the flu shot, maybe you can prevent it. You know, who knows what this is going to turn into? Who, who knows? We, we don't know about that yet. But we do know that uh, the rules are, I, I believe, that if you do test positive, you recover, then for 90 days, you don't have to get tested for it anymore. And I believe that's the CDC guideline is that the, the thought is of right now, like you're you're good. You can't be re re exposed or you, you can't get the virus for 90 days. And it, and it could be longer. I mean, it, it honestly, just from what I've read up on stuff, things, I, it probably is longer because there's not been a whole lot of evidence of reinfection up to this point. Uh, there, there has not been mass evidence of that. But anyways, the, the point is, is that it does incentivize people to kind of get it because then for three months minimum, you don't even have to test. I don't believe so. Yeah. Uh, um, and so that's, I mean, that's all just kind of a roundabout way of saying we don't, we, we have no idea. We, we have no idea who's going to be available, who is not going to be available on Saturday. If a game is, is being played um, me like from a fan's perspective, Lee, it was, you're right. I mean, it was last Wednesday when everything, uh, when, you know, when S word hit the fan, like at first we found out that the basketball game was, was being postponed and then I think it was just like an uh, hour. It was it was an hour later we found out basically that people kind of started to hint. Oh, yeah, the football team is also affected by this. And then word came out that the game was postponed. I just, from my perspective, the fact that we got through Wednesday and that did not happen, that is telling me that we are probably every things are looking pretty good at this point in time. I do not have any inside information. That's just from my perspective. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I I think we're good to go. Uh, barring any unforeseen happenings on Friday, but I, I think uh, Oklahoma uh, and Baylor too. I mean, they want to play this game, and, and Riley said in the past, like as, as long as we can play it safely, we're going to play it. And uh, that gets me to the next, the next thing I want to talk about is you know they're probably going to play. I think it's more more likely than not at this point they're going to play. But since the game last week was postponed and we found out about a, multiple positive tests and you know, contact tracing is still going to be a thing, uh, there's there's probably a pretty good chance there's going to be some people out of the game on Saturday because of all the COVID stuff, whether it's from last week or it's this week. Because I know within the athletic department, Oklahoma released their new numbers. They never give any, any specifics for which sport. But I think it was like 35 or 40 people or 40 active cases right now, which has been the most they've had in a while. I, mean, I thought it was like, I thought it was 27 was the number. It was tw uh, in my head. I, I, I remember because on at news nine, I, I put a graphic up whenever that came out. Maybe on it's Monday. 27 student athletes and then support staff makes I, up. Like I think 40 it's 27 and I think it's 27 student athletes and 13. So I think it's, I think it's 40 total. I think is what it ended up being something like that. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the numbers are higher. I know Joe Casiglione talked about how everything kind of just happened at once last week, but, you know, basketball, men's and women's, then obviously football. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be people out probably. Uh, I, again, I, I, I think some names are out there and some pay sites that you know I'm not privy to and it's not our place to talk about here because this is a free podcast and it's not our information. 
A lot uh, of those names, a lot of those names, not not easy. I mean, it's not hard to find if if you do just a little digging. Um, you know, I I've I've seen them. I don't know. I can't I can't vouch for the accuracy of any of that. Um, but we'll see. They're def they're definitely gonna be missing some guys. I mean, I think that's that's pretty clear up to this point. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see who who is out. Um, uh, one other player that I, I don't think COVID's really an issue. I mean, it could be, who knows? But Austin Stogner, obviously he didn't play uh, in the last game against Oklahoma State. Uh, he hasn't played since that Kansas game in early November when he got banged up and it didn't look very good. He, he took that, that low shot to his, his lower body, to his knee area. And listening to Braden Willis, uh, you know, one of his teammates, by the way, it sounds like Braden Willis is good. I, I think Braden Willis... Uh, we saw him in Bedlam, so hopefully Braden Willis will continue to play and he'll play the rest of the year. He hasn't played much at all this season. Um, and obviously his availability is is uh, necessary and, and, and needed in a way if Stogner still can't go. And hearing Braden Willis talk on uh, Tuesday this week, reading between the lines, reading the tea leaves, whatever cliche you want to use, it didn't sound good to me uh, on, on Stogner's availability for this Saturday. It, just, it, it didn't sound to me like he's going to be able to play just kind of some of the words and, and the tenses that Willis used when he was talking about Austin. Can you, uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit? What did it, what did he say? Uh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that because uh, let's see. Um, well, just, I mean, cause that's, that's not good. I mean, that's that, that makes me, if, for, I mean, if, if Stogner can't play this weekend, that makes me question his availability for the rest of the season for sure. Just because, Going into going into Bedlam, you know, I, I saw and, and you know, of course, this is like kind of like insider boards and stuff like that. People saying, "Hey, I mean, this is going to be a game time decision." Hey, if like they didn't play this week, you know, like or like he he wouldn't have been able to play the week after Kansas, but he's probably going to be good to go for Oklahoma State. And then now two weeks later, if he's still iffy, that leads me to believe he may have a serious injury. All right, so I logged the sound. I don't have the actual like clip to play, but I'm going to, okay, here we go. Um, when he was asked about Stogner, Braden Willis said, we're all very tight knit. We all rally behind him. It's unfortunate, but there's a next man up mentality. We will hold it down until he comes back. That's what I have in my notes. So, I mean, could he be back Saturday? Sure. You know, I mean, but just, uh, and obviously I don't have the clip to play, but just kind of his tone of voice and the words he was using, that's, that's what I wrote down when I was logging it. Uh, oh, it it just kind of it kind of came off to me that I, I I'm not thinking that he's going to be available, and I think uh, I'll give credit. I think I did I did I did, did, I think I might have listened to some of the did the Sooner Scoop guys release a podcast already this week. I think yeah. I might have listened to that. Did, yeah, I, they. I, I don't I'm, I don't know if they talked about Stogner in that one though. Um, maybe I'm I, thinking uh, of a different uh, a d- different episode. When they I don't know from Willis else, that that but. certainly sounds like a canned response that the coaches have coached the players to say when anyone asks about any sort of injury. <laughs> sure, it it does kind of seem like that, doesn't it? Hopefully, it is. Hopefully, he's. Back. I mean, we know, and like I mean, we we know for sure that the you know these guys are coached before they come out and talk to people. So, um, do we? I mean, I guess no, but like I mean, if if you really want to pay attention, it's pretty obvious. It's this I mean, has been going on for a long are. time. They kind of the players kind of echo the message that Lincoln Riley always talks about in his uh, in his in his meetings and stuff too. So I mean, I you don't have to go back you know too long. I I I know this not to beat like a dead horse, but I know we've uh, we've revisited the whole Kyler Murray versus Austin Kendall thing numerous times 
during this podcast, but the players who were talking to the media during that whole thing were also saying, yeah, man, Kyler and Austin, like it's, it's, it's neck and neck. And like, I mean, that's, that's the most ludicrous thing that's probably come out of this program in the last decade. The fact that, you know, those two or the fact, the, the story that those two were neck and neck and the players were saying that, and it was very obviously not true. So yeah, I mean, these, these kids are definitely coached as, as to what to say to the media on unspecific things for sure. Um, yeah, and, and and big West of Evers fans will uh, will remember that that I fell for a little bit of that with uh, one of our no, titles. not even a little bit, man. You fell for it hard. You f- yep. you you fell for it hard while I was sitting here saying well, while I was sitting here saying, uh, Kyler Murray is the best quarterback in the Big Twelve, and everyone's going to realize it as soon as the season starts. You were saying, uh, I don't know if he's even going to win the job. I think Austin Kendall might win it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I was. It's it, you know what it was. It was my. It was my previous experience covering Kyler Murray, his limited time back at Texas A&M when uh, he, uh, under Kevin Sumlin, he, he showed some flashes, but he was incredibly raw, which is not surprising. He was a true freshman. And um, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't have you know, in my mind what he ended up being ultimately, which was uh, the best player in college football. That yeah. Year. Being right about Kyler Murray's awesomeness was about the last thing I was right about on this podcast. So, <laughs> nah, who knows? Um, so the Sooners are scheduled to play Baylor at seven o'clock on Saturday. Uh, Sooners are a twenty-two point favorite at this point. And just uh, I was looking on Twitter uh, before just to see if there's any updates on anything. Uh, Oklahoma Twitter has uh, tweeted out. Uh, from Jessica Cootie, who works uh, works for OU, used to work at News Nine. Uh, it was before I was there, but uh, she works for OU. You, you know, everyone listening to the show may have uh, seen her and doing OU reports. But they tweeted out uh, one of her you know minute long practice reports on Thursday evening. So that's a good sign. So everything they must have practiced today. Everything was good. So you know, as of this recording, it, it's looking really good. Also, uh, here's here's where we'll start with Baylor, just for a bit of a uh, uh, a, a speculation type question that I, I i just noticed the pin tweet on oklahoma football's twitter account is uh for the baylor game it's a it's a promo for the baylor game it says last one at home saturday and it's got a picture and guess who's on the picture ramondre stevenson Ooh, is is this is this ramondre stevenson's last home game at ou is this what this picture is telling us i mean it probably is <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't. Yeah. It'd be a, a, yeah. as much as as much as I tried to as much as I've tried to talk myself into the logic of him coming back for another year, um, which he he can do. He he can do that. Um, I I I I think that's doubtful. He's he's going to be a guy who's put a lot of you know. Yes, you know what? He hasn't had a lot of carries at the college level, so. <laughs> I you know I don't know which makes yeah. him I think it makes him incredibly va- even more valuable for the NFL yeah that's it. like I think yeah he's if, if if he's a guy who gets really any sort of semblance of like a, a draft grade I, I would think he's probably going to go and for a running back I think that's probably the smart you know the the smart move it's unfortunate I mean it was can you I mean can you imagine if Ramondre came back next season with every with everything else coming back on the offense I mean that would that would be Man. kind of a pipe dream which means it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, they're really going to need to find a running back uh, between the end of this season and next. To oh yeah, to if Kennedy really Brooks doesn't run. come back, oh man, that you're you're definitely going to see like if Kennedy Brooks doesn't come back, and if if Kamar Wheaton, if they don't get him, the number one running back in the country, um, then I mean they're going to be hitting the transfer portal extremely really hard, hard. very really hard. hard, probably for multiple guys, I would guess. Yeah, and the, the whoever's out there, I mean, they're going to have a shot to. It, a, a great shot to be starting day one <laughs> in a in a Lincoln Riley offense with Spencer Rattler at quarterback going into his second yeah, year. Yeah, I can. With a, I can assure you, offensive line. Yeah, Lincoln Riley will not go into the 2021 season with T.J. Pleasure and Seth McGowan as as his top two running backs. He's not going to do it. That would be uh, that would be coaching malpractice if that happens. Um, all right. So, uh, what are your first impressions? of the Baylor Bears. How much have you watched of Baylor this year? Um, I know I watched actually a decent amount today preparing for the show. Uh, unfortunately, I was not able to find a, a, a full copy of the Bears' most previous game, which was last week a win over K-State. By the way, that K-State loss is just... Ugh, it's, it's a terrible loss. So that was a terrible, worse. terrible loss. Which kind of the weird thing about it is that like in the context of this season and the context of what happened in the first month of the year, it makes sense. It does make sense. Like it's it's not it's not as shocking to me that it happened, but the more that we see of Kansas State, the more that we see now of Oklahoma kind of rounding into form. It, I mean, it's it is a bit of a head scratcher, and uh, I I should have stuck to my guns a little longer. I think a, a couple weeks after that game, I relented and said Kansas State's a good team. That's a and I, I should have stuck to my guns. Kansas State's not a good team. They're not, um, and uh, that was a really bad loss for OU. Yeah. All right. So Baylor, what are your first impressions of them? Like, what have you seen from them? What uh, I think they're what better out to you? Yeah, I, th- I think they're better than their two and five record uh, indicates. But at the same time, I, d- I don't think they're a team that OU should be remarkably afraid of. Um, I, you know, I, I did watch a majority of that of that game against K-State last week, and I thought their offense uh, definitely came alive a bit, especially in the second half of that game. Uh, but they're still really limited. I, I think they're really going to struggle to get the ball down the field. Um, Charlie Brewer, he, he looks kind of like the same Charlie Brewer. He's a guy who can really hurt you with his feet. He, he's he's kind of crafty sometimes scrambling. But as I told you, force him to make a throw outside the numbers, he's not going to be able to do it. He's got a water pistol for an arm. Um, he He's a guy where like I, I would really think about shading help uh, you know, on the on the short side of the field and, and leaving maybe somebody on an island, you know, on, on the field side, because I don't know if he's got the arm strength to consistently get it to that side. Um, and we'll see. I don't know. I mean, his, and the numbers absolutely do suggest that they struggle to get the ball down the field in the passing game. They, they do not the his, you know, average, you know, average yards per attempt for Charlie Brewer this season is not pretty at all. Not pretty. I'm trying to find it right now, bringing up their stats. Um, he is uh, 6.8 yards per attempt. That's it's very bad. It's not great. It's not great in uh, in college. Really, uh, let's see. I'm, what's Rattler? Just to, for comparison's sake. As I Google. Thank you, Google, for giving us this information at our fingertips. Uh, Spencer Rattler's average yard per attempt grant is 10. <laughs> so... Uh, and that is Quite good. a bit different. That is good. Yes, that's very good. Uh, my first impressions of Baylor, I've watched um, you know, here and there throughout the season, but today I went back and, and I watched their, uh, their game against Texas Tech, which was a couple of weeks ago. 
and I watched their game earlier in November at Iowa State. And honestly, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think they're much better than their two and five record indicates. I think they should have beaten Texas Tech. I, I think they should at least be three and five. Heck, I mean, they could have beaten Iowa State. They led Iowa State 24 to 10 in the second half. And then Iowa State uh, ran, you know, rolled off 28 straight points whenever the Baylor offense started to sputter a bit. But over the last three games, uh, they're one and two. You know, I, I guess you could make the argument maybe they should have lost to K State. I mean, that was a they came back and they won an ugly game against K State. So you know, who knows? Maybe their maybe their uh, record is what it is. They're not like I mean, they're they are what they are. Like I I told you before we got on, I think. You know, in a in a regular like twelve game season, this is probably a team that would go six and six thereabouts, and um, they would do it mostly with their defense. Uh, but yeah, I mean, their 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 defense is is decent, but their offense really struggles to generate explosive plays. Um, and and going against Oklahoma's defense, which that's kind of their that's been their one sort of weakness this season, is that they do give up some big plays. You know, I. If, <laughs> Baylor is not really going to challenge you in that regard too much. You know, and, and notwithstanding, of course, we don't know who's going to be missing this game on, on OU's defense. Um, so maybe, so they'd be able to, maybe they'd be able to push the ball down the field in that way. But it's not going to be through the air. It's going to be short passes that receivers then run after the catch. Because like Charlie Brewer is not capable of throwing it down the field. He just physically is not able to do it. No, he, I mean... If, With, consistency. The, uh... With consistency. With so, consistency. Yeah, I mean, like he... Like Charlie Brewer can throw a football forty, maybe fifty yards down the field. Like he he's capable of doing that. He, to, he threw a ball down to the a field. guy who is very open. If if the sure. guy's not like, very open, he will not be able to do that. He he took like one like he, he took a couple downfield shots against Iowa State. He connected on one of them. It was a, a quarters beater shot, and he made a really nice throw. Hit a guy, and it was a huge sixty plus yard play. One probably one of the biggest plays of the year for Baylor. Uh, that ball probably traveled in the air 35 yards, I would guess. And then he he missed um, what's his name? He missed R.J. Sneed on a deep shot down the middle of the field on a deep post, and he actually overthrew him. So I mean, he he can throw it. It's just his deep ball accuracy is not great. Uh, but whenever the elements are fine, and and I haven't looked at the weather yet for Saturday in, in Norman, uh, it's probably going to be chilly. It's going to probably be cold. So I mean, that's not ideal. Uh, ideal elements for him to throw the ball down the field but I, I just I don't want to shortchange the guy and act like he he can barely get the ball 20 yards in the air because he can but I that's not his game and and you're right um, and explosive plays are not Baylor's offense's game uh, they're <laughs> only Kansas has fewer plays of 20 or more yards in the Big 12 than Baylor uh, Baylor's had 28 plays this year go for 20 or more yards for comparison's sake, Oklahoma State, who Oklahoma just played, has 40, and the Sooners have 54 this year. So uh, Oklahoma's got 30-plus more, 36 more explosive plays this year than Baylor. And also, you know, um, did Baylor play Oklahoma State? No, they haven't, have they? No, no, no. Yeah, that was a, that was a postponed game. They're yeah, gonna play later. So, and, and Baylor hasn't even played the two best defenses in the Big 12. Uh, so yeah, Baylor's I mean, you, they, like here. Here's the deal. Baylor's offense looked looked pretty decent in the second half against Kansas State uh, last Saturday. They did a lot of that was Brewer making making good plays with his with his feet, um, and, and it was also his receivers making plays as well. Um, 
we'll see if that's we'll see if if that game is is indicative of of where Baylor is going or we'll see if their previous six games are more, you know, indicative of where they are. I, you know, this is a game where where OU should should really not be terrified of Baylor's offense. They they shouldn't be. Um the I I I if if Baylor is able to come in this game and have a ton of success on offense, I, I would probably tell you that means that OU is probably missing some really key guys. So and we're talking about the Baylor offense. Might as well talk about that matchup, Oklahoma's defense, and we already are. Uh, Baylor, they're averaging 27.6 points per game, which is eighth in the Big 12. I think only uh, the two Kansas schools are the two teams below them. Uh, again, that K-State loss, yuck. Uh, but yeah, I mean yards per game for Baylor's offense very low, three thirty-five. I mean that is that is bad. I first mean, time is, they've that is not good. Uh, last week against K State is the first time they've gone over four hundred yards of offense all okay, season. Yeah. All season. Uh, they're averaging four point eight yards per play. Uh, that is really bad. Only only Kansas is worse in the Big Twelve. But a little context though: the last three games against Iowa State, Kansas State, and Texas Tech. Uh, not in that order. I guess the order would have been Iowa State, Tech, Kansas State. Uh, they're averaging five and a half yards per play. So uh, their offense has been a lot better. Oklahoma is getting Baylor at, at the time in which Baylor's offense is playing its best football of the season. So take that into account. And also Oklahoma could be without certain players. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll save that for. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. Baylor's offense. We're on that. Um, you mentioned they haven't played the top two defenses in the Big 12. And sure, that you can make the argument Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. After last week, though, Oklahoma State gave up all those yards to Texas Tech. I think you got to uh, – Iowa State and, well, and West Virginia, obviously, who's got uh, statistically the best defense in the Big 12. Um, throw those two teams in there, too. I mean, they, they have an argument. And, and so my point is Baylor's played Iowa State, and they moved the football on Iowa State. They, I mean, they didn't go over 400 yards, but they were able to move the ball. They, they threw it for almost 300 yards against Iowa State's defense. So, I mean, that's like that's a solid, good unit. Uh, but when it mattered the most in the second half, after Baylor had a two-touchdown lead, Iowa State's defense was able to uh, shore some things up. And Baylor was uh, – they went through some possessions when they weren't able to score. But I will say, lastly, before you, you add in, Baylor did have the football uh, down by a touchdown, driving in the red zone in that game. And uh, Charlie Brewer threw a pick in the end zone. Mike Rose picked them off that end of the game. But uh, Baylor wasn't in a position to tie it. You know, I just I, I kind of feel like the the way in which OU plays defense under Alex Grinch is is just really is a really good matchup against this Baylor offense. That one they 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 cannot run the ball at all at all. They're the worst in the Big Twelve running the ball, um, and that's I mean that's with some pretty decent backs as well, which tells you that you know the the interior of their offensive line is probably not it at all. Um, and also, I mean, just look at the numbers and also my eyes tell me too, they struggle to get the ball down the field consistently in the passing game. You can't run the ball and you can't get chunk yards in the passing game. It seems it's pretty, it's, you know, a defensive game plan here of, of shrinking space and getting in receivers, you know, faces and being ultra aggressive is what you want to do against this Baylor offense, all of which does not describe Iowa state's defense at all. Um, and I just, I, I, this is. You know, I, I told you before we got on, one of the biggest reasons why the Ohio States, Clemson, Alabamas of the world are able to just decimate teams in conference is because of how big of a how how big of an edge they have in the trenches. Now we've seen Oklahoma and the Big Twelve on the offensive side of the ball have that massive edge on the offensive line compared to the other defensive lines, and we've seen how how big of a deal that's been in November. 
down the stretch, just being able to just grind teams down into dust with that offensive line. Well, now, I mean, we're at a point now where we're, we're pretty darn sure that OU has four, you know, three, four, five NFL guys on their defensive front. And they've, they've been dominating teams the last two months of the season. And I don't see anything from Baylor that suggests that they're going to be able to slow down Oklahoma's defensive line with any sort of regularity. And mm-hmm. like, it, I, I, this is what I said to you. If OU's defensive line plays well in this game, Baylor can't win. And that, and that, I mean, that's that's the case of you know when people go up against Ohio State and Alabama and OU's defensive line this season is in that stratosphere. They are that good, and I I just at their best, I think yeah they they have some similarities to some of those elite defensive lines from those you know the the Clemsons and Bamas the two and and um, but I mean not con- I don't think consistently they're as good yet as as those maybe are. not I mean, yet but, but also but this is I mean. This is a Baylor offensive line that's really struggled to kind of block everybody that they've faced this year. I, 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 I talked about their offense looking a lot better in the second half last week against Kansas State. Charlie Brewer was still running for his life. He got hit a lot in that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had like they were struggling with Wyatt Hubert. And, you know, we've yeah, we, we've talked about Wyatt Hubert a lot on this. I think he's he's fine. He's a fine player. But if they're struggling with Wyatt Hubert, there's about four guys they're going to struggle with on OU then, and they're all going to be on the field at the same time. So, yeah, like, I, this, uh... and I, I hate, I hate to reduce this down to it being so simple, but when you got that, when you got that ace in your pocket, that defensive line, a lot of the times in college football, it is that simple. And like, I, it's kind of what I said against Oklahoma State as well. It's just, it's. One one team has the dudes and the other team doesn't, and sometimes, a lot of the times, it really is that simple. So I was going to say on on Monday, Lincoln Riley was asked about uh, if he wants to throw out any names on his team for potential All American type status, and it, he kind of was caught off guard by that question. I, I can't. I think uh, Kirk Bowles and Austin asked him about it, and uh, the first person he brought up was Creed Creed Humphrey. Uh, the first person he mentioned defensively. Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, they're I mean, two, the two, the two obvious guys who have just who I who have been consistently great all year are Thomas and Benito. Benito have been the two yeah, best players on the defense. Th- those two, yeah. But I mean, that's you know, get to the end of the year, and if if a guy like Isaiah Thomas ends up getting, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be an All American, but he ends up getting, you know, heck, even like second team All Big Twelve. I mean, that's that's great. I mean. I mean with knowing that uh, you know Perkins was going to be out for as much as he was, and so, anyways, um, here's the here's the formula for Baylor's offense to move the football against Oklahoma. The defense, you know, if the defensive line plays well, it's that means Charlie Brewer's getting the football out quickly into the the arms of actually some pretty some pretty good skill players. I, I think they got some some guys out there that can that can do some damage. R.J. Sneed's good. He's a really good wide receiver. He's a nice player. Uh, Trusted Ebner. He's kind of like a, a Swiss Army knife type guy. If, if he's lining up in the backfield, he's probably going to run a Texas route. That's his favorite route. He's really good at that. Um, they kill people with Trusted Ebner, Texas route out of the backfield. Uh, he's, he's a nice player. Um, and that means that Oklahoma is not tackling. They're not tackling in the secondary. They're not tackling a linebacker. And, and big plays are happening because Oklahoma – Maybe they're missing guys. Maybe they, and they can't get guys onto the ground. Uh, one more player that I've noticed on tape from Baylor that he should be getting a lot more looks. I, I think the reason he's not is because he's a freshman. They're tight end. Uh, I can't remember his, his first name, uh, but his last name is Dabney. He's big. He's athletic. 
He looks like looks like he's pretty fast. He looks like everything you want out of a tight end. I would, if I'm Baylor, I'm getting this guy the football at least at least five times a game in situations. He's a, like, I don't know why he's not getting the ball. He scored a touchdown against Iowa State. Um, so that's somebody to kind of that uh, diving deep into their offense. That kind of uh, kind of worries me a little bit. I don't know how much they're going to use him against Oklahoma. Uh, and finally, uh, how Baylor moves the ball in this game is Charlie Brewer, his legs. And that I think back to last year when Oklahoma was going into Waco to play that first game against Baylor. I believe we talked about it on the podcast. The biggest thing we're worried about is Charlie Brewer's legs. Keep him contained. Keep him in the pocket. Let him you know, make him beat you through the air. Oklahoma should, be, should do fine. And uh, they did a nice job, the Sooners did, of, of corralling Charlie Brewer. He is... He is Baylor's run game. He leads the team in rushing this year. He has the most rushing attempts, whether it's designed or whether it's him scrambling. They need to make sure they have somebody accounted for with Charlie Brewer because he is going to want to run a lot, and he can still run. He's light on his feet. He's fast. I think he's pretty athletic. Um, I, I'm not so sure he, he, he definitely doesn't like to get hit because um, he's taken a lot of hits in his day. We all know that. I was just saying, so that's, he's, that's, I mean, he's, he's taken lots of hits, and he's been injured a lot as well. He's a guy, I mean, he, he's a guy, if OU can get a pretty good shot on him, he, I mean, he may be done for the game. He's one of those well, guys. Well, the last, the last time Brewer was on, on Owen Field, he took a massive shot from Caleb Kelly in the fourth quarter because Baylor wouldn't call the dogs off, and they kept trying to throw and, and, and try to score points, and I believe like the Mike Stoops was pretty uh, annoyed by that, and he was like, "Fine, if you're going to keep throwing it, we're going to keep blitzing you." Oh yeah, I remember that because I think didn't because yeah. uh, didn't Matt Rule come out and say like kind of a like a passive aggressive comment about the Caleb Kelly hit? Because now because that kind of jogged my memory. I think I kind of had a, a rant bit, then yeah. after that because yeah because yeah you're right because Baylor kept throwing, and it's like I remember at that time I remember saying Matt Rule, it's your fault if Charlie Brewer is hurt. That does sound familiar. That does sound familiar. Um, let's see. Running back wise, they're they're down to to love it at running back. I don't think he was their main guy. Uh, they had a player get hurt uh, against Iowa State, Craig Williams, um, and he was actually running the ball pretty well against Iowa State until he went out in the third quarter. I think he tore his ACL. Uh, they yeah they're running. I mean Ebner's not like a, you know hand the ball off to this guy 15, 20 times a game in the backfield. That's just not his his role. He just they they kind of move him around. So again, like the running game is is Charlie Brewer. It's it's kind of it's kind of nuts. Um, so yeah, that's the Baylor offense. O- Oklahoma certainly has a an advantage on that side whenever Baylor has the ball. But that that is how Baylor moves the football in this game. Charlie Brewer's legs, him hitting quick passes, Oklahoma not tackling, and you know occasionally the the, the deep shot if you know they they call a shot play and Oklahoma can't get to the quarterback. Let's flip it around to the Oklahoma offense against the Baylor defense. And a season ago, Baylor's defense was really good, Grant. I mean, it, it, Oklahoma's offense obviously is always good, but had Jalen Hurts, and Jalen Hurts struggled mightily in that first half uh, against Baylor in Waco. And then and, they kind of started to figure it out. And the entire game in the Big 12 championship game. Did he? Yeah. I, oh, yeah. He wasn't. They had – I mean, yeah, it was a – that was an experienced – defense a chock full of dudes who were three and four year starters and yeah an experienced defense of course is going to be able to take away the like you know take away a single guy's read right you know the the main read in one so yeah, yeah. i mean hurts and they were physical i really liked that baylor defense last season 
Um, mm-hmm. I was I was pretty I was pretty shocked that that Georgia was able to just kind of move it as easily as they did on them in the in the Sugar Bowl. Um, but maybe that that was just kind of more of a kind of more of just what the Big Twelve was last year, and maybe even this year too. The big the offenses in the Big Twelve are not good. Um, that's true. That's true. But yeah, you know, I Baylor's defense to me is just like is just just kind of it's it's fine. They're all right. They haven't played Oklahoma, but they're all right. <laughs> I mean, and and I know I say that's that. That's your favorite line. I know, but like, it's especially in a down year for the Big Twelve. Was who would you like? I mean, Texas Texas probably is the second best offense in the Big Twelve, right? I know, I know, I know. Statistically, um, it's Iowa State, but like, I I think Texas's offense is better than Iowa them. State's. So I don't, I don't. I Texas's offense is is so vanilla. And I so I mean so I is think Iowa State so is Iowa State's I don't well the fact that Iowa State has Brees Hall and Texas doesn't really have a running back they kind of do now with Robinson um, and the fact that that Iowa State has some playmakers with those tight ends and they have like one or two kind of speedy receivers and then all Texas has really is what Eagles and uh, Sam Ellinger and maybe that tight end is it he's he on the team still I can't remember like Jake Smith. Is he on the team still? I can't yeah, remember. he's on the team. He's just, I mean, he's just a I slot guess. receiver. He's definitely not a tight yeah. end. Yeah, honestly, I don't even or know who guy. I would say Texas's best offensive player is outside of Ellinger. I have no oh, it's, idea. I think it's, 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 it's I think it's Eagles or or Robinson. It's probably Bijan Robinson. I, but also but they it didn't doesn't even know about him until recently. Yeah, but okay. But my my uh, but, point is, if Iowa State is the second best offense in this conference, this is not a good season for offense in this conference. Right, right. Because like I feel um, like I feel like Iowa State is exactly what they've been the last three seasons on offense. They're exactly the same. They have not gotten any better, any worse. They're exactly the same. And that describes Brock Purdy. Uh, and, and actually, he he's probably gotten worse. He's regressed. Since his freshman yeah, year. he's regressed. And he, he looked pretty bad in the first half against Baylor back on November the 7th. He, he had uh, a good game a against Texas, picks. though. He had a good game against Texas. Yeah, he was good. Uh, he threw three picks in the first half against Baylor. And Baylor scored touchdowns off of every single one of them and led 21 to 10 at halftime. One of them was a pick six. Uh, this season, Baylor seems like all of uh, their most talented players are in the secondary from what I've seen. Whereas last year, it seemed like their best guys were up front. You know, they had what uh, Bravey and Roy and uh, who James was Lynch, big, the Big 12 Lynch, defensive Lynch, player of the yeah. year. Yeah, I. I I blanked us. So and their like, linebackers were good. You know, I mean, it was yeah, Baylor's defense last season. It was a really solid defense. Um, and you know, what? like they're they're fine this year too. They would they're they're going to get average offenses off the field pretty consistently. This defense, and they've they've I mean they've shown that in Big Twelve play, but they haven't played Oklahoma yet. <laughs> and I know so do you I, remember I, the. I and I I know that's I know that's silly. I know, but it's just it's it's true. OU has a lot of dudes on offense, and the rest of the conference doesn't. That's just kind of how yeah, it no, works I, right I, now. Uh, do you remember the linebacker last year from Baylor that you really liked? That was like, oh, this guy's really good, even though he was like a backup is and it, ended up being the best player. Terrell Bernard, or Terrell Bernard? He's Bernard, he's hurt yeah. now, isn't and he? I don't think he's going to play. Out. He's out. He's out for the year. He injured his shoulder against Iowa State. And that was two games ago. He still leads the team in tackles. And I'm pretty sure he was literally their only returning starter on defense this season. Uh, they, the rally uh, 
Oh Tejada yeah, Raleigh Tahada was there. Yeah, the the corner. He was on the team last year. Um, other than that, uh, I mean, there could be some other players that that played significant snaps. But the the players that I've seen that have really stood out, um, uh, with Bernard being out, their linebackers. Nothing really stood out to me that much on tape. Uh, up front, nothing really stood out to me on tape. Really in the secondary, and it was kind of easy. I mean, uh, they have a guy, Jalen Petrie, number eight. Uh, I, in the Iowa State game and in the Texas Tech game, he had pick sixes against uh, both those quarterbacks. Uh, he looks like he's a really good player. Um, I, I know Tejada gets graded out really well as a corner. Um, I saw him. He, he picked off Purdy, uh, almost took it back for a touchdown. Uh, there's a guy named Kalen Barnes. He had a really great interception against Purdy. And he only had one hand. He had a big old club uh, on one of his hands and still picked them off. It was a great play, uh, number 12. So I, I think he's out there. So the secondary for Baylor is actually pretty solid. Jeez, Pat, uh, Fields, one, has a, Pat Fields has two hands. And how many picks did he drop uh, on Purdy in that game? I know, it was, was like that, two. Was that, this, was that this year or was that last? I can't. That was can't this remember. season. That was, it doesn't, it doesn't was, feel like it, but that well, was Buki, this season. Well, well, Buki had the one where he... It, it was a punt, and he just dropped it. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Purdy, Purdy probably should have thrown four picks in that game earlier this season. Like it was that was that was actually, I think, maybe the worst I've ever seen an opposing quarterback play against OU and their team actually win. Yeah, long ways away from when good. Kyle Kemp came off the bench and just just lit just OU up in that game, dropping dimes, man. Just. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, that I mean, game if, pisses uh, me off so much. <laughs> I think Iowa State's defense got uh, two stops all game. They they recovered a fumble and then the stop at the end of the game. That was the only times they stopped OU's offense, I think, and that's all it needed. That's all it needed. Um, where was I? The secondary. Oh, I was going to say I, the difference in, in Baylor and OU. I mean, Baylor's secondary caught the ball when Purdy threw it to him and they took advantage of it still lost the game if OU catches the ball when, when Purdy does I mean Oklahoma beats Iowa State uh, yeah anyways that's that's not really what, what we're talking about here but uh, the defense I think in the secondary is strong what's interesting to me though I see a lot of really soft coverage from their corners and that's not going to fly really against Oklahoma you're going to give Spencer Rattler a bunch of bunch of space he'll he'll pick you apart he'll he'll take those throws and uh, i mean that uh, I, I think you can run on baylor I, I mean their defense is kind of like middle of the pack right now in the big 12 like it's, it's fine like, they're like it's, four or it's five fine. like they're like if you don't if you don't stress them too much if you don't if you don't offer a ton of ways that they can beat you they're fine but oh you can beat you in a lot of different ways um and yeah i just i i don't this is not a, a superimposing matchup here. I mean, Oklahoma State has better players on defense than Baylor does. Yeah. And, you know, we'll see. And, like, I, you'll go through this. Um, Baylor is second to last in the Big 12 in sacks. They're second to last in tackles for loss. I'm assuming they're second to last to Kansas, I would guess. Um, yes. But, yeah, I mean, these are guys who aren't, you know, they're not generating negative plays on a consistent basis. They're not able to sack the quarterback. And I, I kind of feel like those are things that you're going to have to do to beat Oklahoma. And um, if Baylor's not good at doing those things and, and you're going to say, oh, I'm worried about that, then you're just kind of throwing stuff against the wall to see if it's going to stick. If Baylor comes out and, they're, and you know, if, if Rattler gets sacked six times and he's under constant pressure, then there's something else going on. 
yeah, but that's, that's really that's really unlikely to happen. That right based on based on the statistics, that just doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's it's very very confusing and also interesting that uh, havoc wise, Baylor is not creating negative plays really at all. I mean, again, you you said the stats a second ago, only thirteen sacks, only forty six tackles for loss. Yet Baylor leads the Big Twelve in takeaways. <laughs> Well, you're burying That's, the lead. I mean, Purdy, Purdy probably threw like seven picks, didn't he? That's just all of them. Uh, I think he threw three, and they also recovered a fumble. So I think they took it away from Iowa State. Uh, there was a muff punt. Old Eisworth uh, must muffed a punt. Uh, so there's four right there in that game. Uh, and then uh, Alan Bowman gave him one uh, a couple weeks ago. But it's kind of interesting how like they're not really creating a whole lot of havoc, but they're able to take the ball away a lot. Uh, and and so the takeaways are that's a positive, obviously, for Baylor's defense. Another thing that you can uh, you can say about Baylor's defense, which was similar to last season, you don't get explosive plays on Baylor's defense. They're not giving them up. They've only allowed 22 plays of 20 or more yards, and they've only allowed 12 plays of 30 or more yards. Uh, that's the best in the Big 12. Uh, so they're they're the top team in the Big 12 about not giving up explosive plays. That, but Grant, QU. They played Oklahoma. Thank you. They haven't played Oklahoma, and also, like I think, I think those numbers are pretty easy to explain this season in the Big Twelve. There's just not a lot of good offenses uh, in term. Like, there's just not a lot of offenses that can stretch the field. I mean, this may be controversial. Every offensive line, sans Oklahoma in this conference, is is below average to bad. Um, that I mean, so uh, I don't know. I don't know. About eh, that. Yeah, yeah. Nah, I I, I wouldn't really. Call, I wouldn't call. I wouldn't call Texas's offensive line below average. I, I wouldn't would. call Iowa State's uh, offensive well, line it, below it, average. It depends on what you're. Yeah, I, suppose. I wouldn't call West Virginia's. I wouldn't call West Virginia's offensive line below average. Yeah, no, below. I, okay, yeah, below average is maybe, but also, but they're also not good. I mean, like I, I would say, I would say Oklahoma has the only quote unquote good offensive line in this conference. No, I disagree. Oh, I think Oklahoma's got the best offensive line, but I think there's some good offensive lines. I mean, they're, they're playing within the, the structure of their offense. I mean, like we don't we don't follow the other teams that closely. I mean, they ha- they can't have average to below average offensive lines and be that good. Now, like, at, at the same time, I yeah, you're. I suppose your point is though that the offenses in the Big Twelve this year are down, which yeah, I agree. The offenses with. this year have been really bad so, in the Big Twelve, relatively speaking. Yeah, so they it's have not, been. They haven't like. The I one just being a little too hard on them. The one really big test that they're going to face in this conference is going to be this week. And until like I mean, Oklahoma State's numbers looked pretty gaudy going into Bedlam, and I For outside what? of you know I'm just saying like OU kind of there there were two quarters in that game where OU kind of did whatever they wanted on that on on that defense. Oh oh okay you're talking about like Baylor's defense yeah yeah it's just I, I it's. Nope. I thought you were talking about offense still. So no, I I think yeah, I I think Baylor's defense is is perfectly adequate. I, I think it's good it's good for a defense that graduated a ton of seniors, and you know didn't bring a lot of experience back. I, I think they're perfectly adequate this year. It's the strength of their team, but it's also not good enough to you know really for them to kind of carry the day. I don't think. Sure. Um, sure. No, I mean there's a reason why Baylor's two and five, uh, but they I, I think they are better than that record. You don't just you know this isn't. Uh, I mean, this is. I think this is a big step up from Kansas, who is obviously the worst team in the conference. And yeah, I think I Baylor, just, Baylor's what, like second to Kansas, second yeah. to last. So I, I guess kind of where it, maybe maybe where the disconnect is here is is I think kind of where we are right now on December third in the Big Twelve. 
OU has separated itself from from the conference. They are yeah. they are by far the best team in this conference right now, and it's like not even really close. Like I, I Iowa State is closer to Baylor than they are to Oklahoma right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that that'd actually be a pretty interesting discussion. But I just I, I, yeah I don't th- right th- this conference is has not had a good season. This is not a very no, it, it this hasn't. is not a strong it conference. Hasn't. This is uh, how about this 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 conference this year is a lot more like what the ACC has been. Yes, since Clemson's been dominant. Yes, uh, but also probably maybe slightly better because who is always like the second best team to Clemson? It's it's never anybody that can even touch them. You know, it was and, it was Florida State for like two seasons until they imploded, and then oh yeah, uh, yeah Louisville true. with Lamar Jackson tried for a couple seasons, and uh, but okay, really since true. then, I mean it's been it's been a bunch of crap in the last four or five years. All right, gut feeling on the game. Uh, Sooners favored by twenty two. Uh, I the the uncertainty and who's going to play uh, that. That worries me a bit when it comes to getting margin and covering the spread. Um, I, I don't. I don't think Oklahoma's in any danger of losing this football game. It just doesn't make any sense based on uh, based on what the film says and the stats, and it just doesn't. And and what Oklahoma's playing for it just doesn't make sense for them to lose this football game. Um, if if one side of the ball was going to have more success than the other against Oklahoma, I would. I would. I would probably guess Baylor's offense. And that's because of I you know what the uncertainty may be on defense and maybe the maybe the secondary isn't fully intact or something and that's already the the weakest link of Oklahoma and you know maybe there's not enough people or there's not the right guys to contain Charlie Brewer and he can run a little bit and maybe they can possess the football for a while and keep Oklahoma's offense off the field um, so but it's just this is not this is not really a good matchup I don't think uh, for Baylor for what they do. Uh, I think they got to try to play ball control and um, obviously force Oklahoma to to put long drives together, which is what Baylor does. They keep everything in front of them. They don't give up big plays. But my gut feeling on this game is I I think there's a little bit of value if you're talking betting markets. I think a little bit of value on Baylor plus the points. Baylor hadn't played. Uh, ha- they haven't really been blown out this year. They've played a bunch of close games. Uh, I think the most they have lost by all season long was I'm looking at their schedule. Uh, Texas beat them by 11. That's it. That's the worst loss they've had all year by 11 points at Texas. Uh, they went to double overtime with West Virginia. Uh, TCU jumped out to a 30 to nothing lead on Baylor, and Baylor outscored TCU 23 to three the rest of the game, lost by 10. Uh, and then, I mean, they were up on Iowa State by two scores in the second half. They were up on Texas Tech. They blew those two leads. They could have. They could have won those games. So, uh, I I think Baylor plus the points. I wouldn't like go and put a bunch of money down on it but I, I think if if i was gonna do a pizza bet I, w- I would think about i would think about baylor plus the points but at the same time and i was talking to you about this off the air k-state was getting about i think 27 and a half almost four full touchdowns and that was obviously early in the year but you have a team now later in the season when oklahoma's playing its best football of the year and granted i know that there's some uncertainty with players but you see a team coming into Norman at two and five. You see that record, and they're getting fewer points than K State was getting back early in the year. That's kind of fishy to me. So in a weird way, maybe Oklahoma does have a little bit of value here, uh, but, playing the twenty-two. And this this just this just 
pops in my head now. Baylor was was favored over K State by like five and a half last week. Um, oh, they were. Yeah, they were, and just and then add that now to the total to or what the what the spread is now, and that you're kind of you're at what the K State OU spread was um, in in September. And I and I, I said right now this Baylor team right now is a better team than that K State team that beat OU. I, I I really do believe that. But oh yeah, OU is a lot better now too. though too. OU is a lot a lot better now. <laughs> yeah. Um, What's your gut feeling? My gut feeling, I, I think OU is going to keep rolling um, in this game, and we haven't really talked an, uh, much about it. But um, OU has Ramondre Stevenson, and Baylor doesn't. And like Baylor that, gives up yards on the ground. That, that absolutely uh, think, kind yeah. of relieves any sort of uneasy feeling I have, especially on the offensive side of this ball. Well, hey, maybe Ramondre is is in is in the is in the Rona protocol. I don't know. I, I have no idea. But I, if oh, Ramondre I hope, Stevenson, I hope not. oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. If Ramondre Stevenson is playing in this game, I I don't like just give him the ball. Give him the ball. You'll be fine. It's. It's that it's okay. I, I don't I don't want to say it's that easy because it's 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 not. You have to get you have to get him the ball in creative ways, which Lincoln Riley has shown that he he'll do. He will absolutely yeah. do. So, um, yeah. Only Texas Tech and Kansas uh, has a worse run defense than Baylor in the Big Twelve. So, yeah, uh, I think Baylor I, can be run on. I, I think OU is going to be able to run the ball with with Stevenson in this game, and. Baylor is going to have to is really going to have to account for Ramondre Stevenson, which is just going to open up, you know, shots down the field, which is what Lincoln Riley really wants to do a lot. And, and I think we're going to see in this game, you know, health and, and coronavirus withstanding. I, I'm, I'm I'm not sure in that regard yet, um, but we'll see. I can I, I can only judge on 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 who we know is going to be there, who we know is not. And right now we don't have any idea. So, um. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna go with with the momentum of this team where they're going. I think they're gonna keep it rolling. If if they do struggle in this game, I think that's almost certainly gonna be a a, a product of coronavirus. Um, them maybe missing some guys, them not getting on the practice field until maybe early this week, and and being away, you know, being away from the program. Maybe they're not as as prepared for Baylor. That's I mean, that's really the only thing Baylor I feel like has going for them in this game. Um, that's um, having that been said, you're like, of course, I, I I think this Baylor team is better than a team that has already beaten OU this season. Um, and so, still a, still a young OU team. Are they going to have kind of a brain fart? Who knows? But I I think that's kind of Baylor's only chance, right? And I don't like I I hate predicting stuff like that. I'm not going to be like, yeah, nah, man. I think I think Baylor's really gonna is really gonna give OU problems because I just I'm making the prediction that OU is going to show up not not all the way there, right? And I just think that's kind of a silly thing to predict. I I, I have no idea. So like I I don't I, I I don't want the mindset of, of players and coaches and, and the program, you know, going to factor into the prediction. All I know is that OU the last four or five games they've played has looked like one of the best teams in the country. And I know Baylor has played better over the last handful of games, but they haven't even looked like one of the better teams in the conference. So you do the math. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's uh, we tabled this earlier. Uh, the latest college football playoff rankings. Uh, we talked about it. Uh, the the first rankings at the start of the show last week. Uh, the f- 
top seven teams are all the same, I believe, from a week ago. Uh, the big the big change that's somewhat interesting to uh, this podcast is obviously Iowa State jumping OU, going from thirteen to nine. Obviously, Oklahoma idle last week. I, don't know, I mean, I, again, I'm not sure how much we even want to talk about this. Uh, Oklahoma State, by the way, after um, surviving Texas Tech and um, refusing to score a touchdown late to cover that 11-point spread, which made me very angry, uh, jumps up eight spots from 23 to 15. So I guess that helps out Oklahoma in a way. It makes their win over Oklahoma State look a lot better, uh, going from 23 to 15. And then uh, you know the Iowa State loss doesn't look as bad now. It's a top-10 loss, uh, but still the Kansas State loss is there, so that's terrible. Um, what are your take? I mean, I, I, I know I'm supposed to have takes on this stuff. I, I'll be honest, like – I. Like my, I, I totally, I didn't even know Miami was in the top ten. I, I had to double like what Miami. I thought they had lost two games. I guess they've only lost one game, but eh, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Um, well, Oklahoma guess, not moving, I think, is fair because they didn't play, so don't move them. Um, but uh, no, I mean, I think the most yeah. the most interesting aspect of this is that, like, I mean, this is this is really tough. I mean, the college football playoff, the committee, they they were steadfast. They were just going to remain with four teams. And because of that, they got a big problem on their hands. This is really hard this season. Um, I, I I like to come on this, you know, the last handful of seasons I've come on this podcast and say, you know, logic dictates that this whole thing should be simple. This year, it's 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 not. It's really hard because you got a lot of people playing uneven schedules, not even the same number of games. So how do you weigh one thing or the other? Um, I think everybody thinks it's it's pretty easy right now with three teams, Bama, Clemson, and Notre Dame, and I think it is that easy if they all if things kind of go the way people think they will. With Bama winning out, they'll be the obvious number one team. Um, I, I think everyone kind of assumes that Clemson is going to beat Notre Dame in the rematch with Trevor Lawrence, and that's an assumption I have as well. Um, and I think everyone thinks that still a one loss Notre Dame would probably get in in that situation. So it's you got you kind of got the top three teams there, and then so it's all about what do you do with Ohio State, and I'm at that point now. If 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 Ohio State has only played six games, I don't know how you put them in. If they've only played five games, I don't know. Like I I don't know how you do it, and yeah, um, it's it's a really tough thing. And that I mean, you put a gun to my head. Do I think Ohio State is one of the four best teams right now? Yeah, I do. But also, games have to matter at some point in time. And I think this is a really, really tough spot that the committee has put themselves in. And, and by extension, the Big Ten as well has, has, has put themselves in this spot. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I said at the beginning of this season, when, or not the beginning of the season, when the Big Ten said that they were going to come back, I told you that if, if Ohio State is an 8-0 Big Ten champion, that they should get into the playoff. I don't, I don't know if they're a 6-0 Big Ten champion, if they're 6-0 without playing in a Big Ten championship game, if they're 7-0, I, I, I honestly do not know. That's, it, it's, it's something, especially because they have not played a difficult schedule. Their best win at this point in time, as it stands now, is going to be Indiana. And, I, and Indiana is, is fine, whatever. Indiana's best win is over a 1-5 team. Um, you know, I, I, it's... It's a really, it's a huge mess for that spot, and so I, I think it's kind of funny now when you look at how everything sets up and all the teams that are ahead of OU. If the committee comes out and they say at the end of the day, you know, hey, you know, 
Ohio State, they just didn't have enough data points. They just didn't play enough games for us to be comfortable putting us putting us in there. And OU is a 9-2 and two Big 12 champ. They're going to get in. OU's going to get in. This is setting up for if OU is 9-2 and two and the Big 12 champ and they decide that they, that they are not comfortable with putting Ohio State in because of the number of games they've played, OU's going to get in. And it's going to be hysterically funny if, if it works out that way. Now, I don't necessarily, I'm not predicting that's going to happen. If you put a gun to my head now, I think they're probably still going to go with Ohio State in any circumstance if they have zero losses. What do you do, do with A&M in Florida, though? What do you do with A&M in Florida in that scenario? Well, so Florida is going is, is to get their second loss to Alabama in the SEC championship game. So that would be, you know, it would be... Um, so then would, what do you do with Texas A&M? I don't know. If they went out. If, if they, they went, went out. out. And then so Texas A&M would have a win over Florida. That would basically be their resume without the conference championship. And also in that scenario, it would just be a rematch. Alabama versus Texas A&M. We already know who the better team is there. Alabama beat them by 30. Yeah. Like I'm just, it's, I don't know. Like I, I think in that scenario it would come down to you know it it would come down to OU Cincinnati and Texas A and M, and I like I don't think if if Alabama is in that one spot and A and M is vying for the fourth spot, I don't think they'd put A and M in there. I don't think they would. Without the conference championship, without what if OU is really impressive in three straight wins? What if they keep it rolling and they're just blowing teams out? Sure, sure. And then it comes down to you. You come up with that subjective stuff. I mean, I if OU keeps it rolling, is blowing teams out. They're better than Texas A and M, and I think everyone would be yeah, of that I mean, opinion. And yeah, I mean, well, how about this? I mean, hot take right now. You said um, you know you think you probably think Ohio State's the best team, you know, top four team. I I think I think right now Oklahoma's playing fo- better football than Ohio State right now. Uh, yeah, I think Ohio if State they can't stop anybody from throwing the ball. I think if they met on a field, yeah, I think if I think if those two teams played right now, it'd be a really good game. It'd be yeah, a really good I game. Think it would. Uh, I so, but at the same time, I'm I'm not so sure how Oklahoma would do against Florida. Um, Florida's a pretty bad way. matchup I, for OU, I think. Really? Yeah. Um, I a, a, my thoughts on A and M aren't very fair right now because I'm I'm super annoyed with the Aggies because they let LSU go through the back door on Saturday so that that annoys me because they dominated that game but couldn't score on that bad LSU defense enough so um I'm uh, I'm I'm not too happy with A&M right now but I I understand that they have put together I mean a decent resume um I guess I mean they've, yeah, it's, it's they've played an absurdly easy, easy schedule as well they have not had a challenging schedule they've but that but the but it's all all SEC games though man the yeah, SEC I, it's remember remember um, how good the SEC is yeah, and so like here, here's the thing, you know, I this is a season where you where you kind of have to throw out a lot of that logic because you just, you know, I don't know, and that's 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 another thing why it's so freaking annoying that the Big Ten delayed it so far that we're in this situation, and that you know I just to me I don't know I don't know how to you know specifically articulate it or anything, but if man if Ohio State got in and they only played six games, I just that would just feel kind of crummy, would it not? Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean they'd have to really look a lot better um, to to make it justifiable. But um, yeah, I I'll admit I'm I'm not good. Like I, 
I'm always with the playoff. I'm, you know, let it all play out, and then we'll talk about it when it's over, and then we'll decide. That's kind of how I've always been. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think the idea of a, a six-win, six-and-zero Ohio State in the playoff does sound. It sounds unfair to all the other playoff teams and teams that didn't get at, that didn't make it because they played so so many. Uh, what's what's the right word? I'm just gonna say less or fewer. So fewer games. Yeah, oh, fewer and I'm games. just thinking now too. Uh, like this is a huge mess on their hands. Can you imagine if they let's let's say let's assume that Clemson beats Notre Dame in the ACC championship game? That means you're just gonna have another Clemson Notre Dame rematch. For the second straight game, oh. and it to be the third time that they play, and then what? You're going to do Alabama and A and M again? Hey. Like that? I mean, that is that's no bueno. And I and I'm the type of guy who who says that you know, kind of what what how sexy the matchup is really shouldn't dictate the matchups at all. But you would have a 14 playoff of a bunch of guys who have already played each other. <laughs> And yeah, I know, and, and I, mean, I know, in that is, sen- in that scenario, yeah. it would be you know best of you know the best of three of, of Clemson and Notre Dame. Sure, I mean, I guess, but I don't know, man. Like, I I really do think that they they would try to avoid uh, an Alabama versus A and M semifinal as much as humanly possible, because logic logic does not dictate that at all. Those two teams already played. We we know Alabama's a lot better than Texas A and M. Yeah, but I mean, don't you let teams grow? a and probably a lot better than they were back then. So um, is te- uh, so sure. is Alabama. Yeah, but, and if you I mean, if, if, if if you I mean, want to invite those subjective arguments, arguments and I, I hate those subjective arguments, which is why I've always said that in order to get into the playoff, you sh- you should absolutely have to win your conf- your your conference. It just makes everything way cleaner. It's more logical, and so. But now, I mean, you're you're set up with a scenario where you, there could be two non-conference champions, you know, yeah. in that. And I don't like that. Logic does not yeah, like is, that. Well, I mean, th- this is again another another downside. Something that's easy easy to avoid. But this is what happens whenever your quote unquote playoff is just a plus one, and it's just it's, it's not a playoff. It, it, it needs to be more teams. It needs like that way. It's just like the the likelihood of this happening. Which it, the, the the thought of two rematches in a, in a playoff when it's only four teams is probably pretty unlikely normally, but. Uh, Whenever you're only going to have that that many teams in, it can happen, and then it, it looks really dumb and really bad. Whereas, like, yeah, sometimes rematches happen in the NFL, but usually they, they go through multiple rounds of the playoffs to get there, and it's like, okay, well, I mean, they've gotten through all these teams again. They've they've won and won. It's and like you're just you're cool with it. It's fine. Like, and also in that scenario, only two conferences would be in the playoff there. Like I'm telling you, man, I I, I think it's likely they are maybe going only to be a good thing. There's no fans at the Rose Bowl. Like, nobody wants to watch I'm, and I'm anyways. looking at this now, and I'm 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 not conspiracy guy, but just look at them. Iowa State number nine, Oklahoma State somehow jumping up eight spots. Um, Louisiana Lafayette, who beat Iowa State, is now in the top twenty-five. They don't, which means they do not view that as a bad loss for Iowa State. It's it's setting up really well for OU, and if they if OU is well, it's a setting 90, up really well for Iowa State and Iowa State too, and Iowa State too. If if OU is a nine and two Big Twelve champion, the committee is going to look for a way to put them in the field. And, and I was gonna bring this up earlier, but now I'm reminded of it. I mean, still like the the two losses, obviously a huge knock against you. 
And one of the losses is going to be a really bad loss to Kansas State. And think about a couple of years ago, whatever. I mean, how much crap did Ohio State get for getting blown out by Iowa? I mean, they got blown out, so that made it look worse. Oklahoma wasn't blown out by Kansas State, but they did. I mean, they lost to them. Then they, they blew a three touchdown lead. That's not great. So, I mean, how a lot of people are going to be like, how can you put this Oklahoma team in when they they had this terrible loss to Kansas State? That's going to end up. Yeah, I mean, I. I I, yeah, no, argument. I mean, it would be, and it would, I, like, it would be kind of a viable argument, but also, it's, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, because it's Ohio not a State cinch. fans were probably not, like, hey, we're, we're, we're playing really well right now at, this, at the end of the year. I'm oh, not going to well, bang nope, my sorry, fist on the table and say, in, those, in that scenario, OU absolutely deserves it, and those teams don't deserve it. It's just, I mean, I'm, all I'm saying is in that case, or in that situation, OU has a case, and it's a pretty strong case, yeah. actually. Yeah, sure. Because then I, because, and I've railed against it a ton. Like the subjective nature, of the eye test should not be it sh- should not be a metric for the playoff at all. But in a situation like this, it it clearly is a metric they've used in the past. You know, they've they've won they've desperately wanted to put Georgia in there with two losses. Remember, they've they've moved Georgia up to oh, like number five gosh. with was... two losses, and so man. That was imagine illogical. a two loss. Imagine a two loss team with a with a conference championship, and the only and the only teams that you have to go against them is a team that played six games, a team that only has one loss but got blown out by the by the one team that they couldn't get blown out by, and Cincinnati. Well, the committee could be secretly hoping for Cincinnati to win out. And this could be the one year where they can get away with putting a group of five team in. And they sh- and and this is if I was a committee um, member, that's what I would be banging the drum for. Is we just need eh. to just it because it would be the cleanest. It would be, but the thing is, there is no one who is representing Cincinnati in that room. There are people representing the co- the the Power Five conferences in that room. No one's representing the AAC or Cincinnati. And I, you know, I, yeah. I. I and mean, also, that, and also, that shouldn't like matter. But I mean, maybe it does. And like I said, they have invited way too much scrutiny and way too much uncertainty by by being okay with the eye tests and subjective measures that they've that they've pumped into this thing, because it opens you up to the argument. Oklahoma is better than Cincinnati. Everyone knows that. And so that, like, that's the argument that you open yourself up to with the subjective stuff. Whereas if you just if you just used a system. It would just be nice and clean. Just put Cincinnati in and be done with it. But I, I like. Be a, yeah, I don't know. A, I mean, you're. But if it, yeah, if it does kind of work out cleanly, and I, I doubt it will. Yeah, a, a an Alabama versus A and M, and and then a Clemson, you know, Clemson versus Notre Dame part three playoff. That would be worst case scenario for the networks. Worst case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well. I have in the rundown, and you know this is because the the Big Twelve tiebreaker stuff is so confusing, and I'm pretty sure Oklahoma controls its own destiny now, but maybe they don't. I I don't know. Like, and we've gone for 90 minutes, so I I'm, I don't I don't know enough about that, so we'll just skip that part unless you want to talk about it. I don't think you do. Uh, any anything else? What are like? Isn't it? Yeah, is because I I thought doesn't it like basically come down to. Because Kansas State beating Texas doesn't matter anymore, right? Like, if that were to happen. Yeah, I, yeah, I think Baylor beating Kansas State ended up actually helping out Oklahoma because yeah, K-State doesn't have a chance anymore, I don't think, to finish in the, like, number four in the conference. Oh, they do, yeah, they do. They do if they beat Texas because then they would both have four oh, losses yeah. 
And then oh yeah, oh crap. I mean, it's it may be they still need Texas to beat Kansas State, which I mean, Kansas State is is a bad football team right now. Um, right, because then if it's yeah. a if, if if it's a three way tie between Iowa State, OU, and Oklahoma State, it goes to their record against the fourth place team, which would be Kansas State, who has the tiebreaker over Texas in that scenario. Hmm. So if K State beats Texas, they can that can still just completely throw a wrench in this. I think is how it works. Let's see, and Texas still has left to play. Uh, that obviously K State. This oh, they're playing K State this weekend. Oh, and then they're playing Kansas. So I mean, Texas is going to get another win though. So because like, they're not going to they're not going to lose to Kansas. I mean, Texas doesn't lose to Kansas, does does it? Oh yeah. Oh, well, I mean, but it would still. But yeah, they would have the same Big Twelve record. They'd both be five and four in conference, right? If if Kansas State uh, were to yeah. beat Texas. Yeah, that's true. Because currently Kansas mm. State is four and four in the conference. So I wonder how that tiebreaker then works. Because if they're still tied, uh, I mean, head to head, Kansas Texas, State beat Texas. So I, I, oh, yeah, I, I think, I think if oh, it's yeah, the duh, duh, if it's duh. the three way tie, it goes against your record against the you know the fourth place team, Oklahoma State and Iowa State both beat K State. Oh, you lost. Yeah. So yeah, it's just it's very confusing. Um, Kind of but I guess maybe it's not as confusing as I think. Yeah, it's it's kind of lame. I mean, maybe Oklahoma shouldn't have lost to Kansas State. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that that's kind of where I am, too. It's like, I, I don't... Like, one of the reasons why I'm not going to get upset about a playoff or anything this year, I mean, like, if, if they were to get in, cool, I guess, but it's not... I mean, yeah, that they lost to Kansas State, and that was just a really bad loss. So, you know, I, I, I as much as I love OU right now, and I kind of feel like they can compete with anybody right now... Um. I've I've been banging the drum for years. The games have to matter still. They the games still have to matter. But in this weird weird year where no one is playing an equal schedule, that's where the subjective eye test would maybe make sense for me to come in. But also, man, I I don't know. It's 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 silly. All I know is that OU if if they went out, they are absolutely at the very least going to be one of the two teams left out at the very least. So how about this? Let's say Oklahoma, they play, they beat Baylor, and they're able to play West Virginia on the 12th, and they beat West Virginia, but for some reason, you know, the tiebreaker thing comes in, and Oklahoma, uh, by, by the way, I mean, odds are, like, Oklahoma wins out, odds, like, are universally in Oklahoma's favor to make the title game, I believe, uh, just based off of uh, all the scenarios. I, I think, uh, in theory, like, their odds are better than anybody else. But it's still possible they, they, they could be left out depending on how certain games shake out. So let's say Oklahoma does play the next two games, Grant, and wins them both and goes to 8-2, and two, but they don't play in the Big 12 title game. Does Lincoln Riley get on the phone and try to schedule somebody for the December the 19th? <laughs> uh, I don't know. We you get an extra game in? We tried, to speak, we, we tried to speak this into existence last week, and then the game got postponed right away you know <laughs> yeah um i mean tcu got somebody on the schedule tcu start got another you know game so it, i'll say it, this it has happened i'll say this if that if that were to actually happen yes i i hope lincoln riley would try to schedule a game would that happen i highly doubt it yeah probably not uh i, I wouldn't be surprised i wouldn't but you know what here and this will be the last thing here is why uh here, here are reasons why if Oklahoma does not, you know, wins, even if, let's just say, even if they lose, like, if Oklahoma does not play in the Big 12 title game for some reason, here is why 
it would be beneficial to try to schedule a game for the 19th. Obviously, you get another game in, and these guys have already been shortchanged two games. So you get them at least one more game, and that by the end of the year, they're only going to be down one game in this really weird year. Whenever some Big Ten teams are only going to end up playing three or four games, same with Pac-12. I mean, that's a massive win. So you, you get your guys another game. They're all going to want to play. Why wouldn't they want to play? Uh, but here's another reason why it, it's beneficial, because OU's making a bowl game. We don't know what bowl game it's going to be. But if you have another game after the December the 12th, then there's there's more time. You got the guys still around. You're prepping for another game. And you're not like, I, I don't know if they're going to be going home after like for Christmas. Like that's just one fewer week that you're going to be like cutting them loose and letting them do whatever they want. They're going to be within the structure, preparing for a game. And the more they can just kind of be around practice and still be in that same schedule, I think that's for the best to keep everybody uh, away from all the COVID stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too much, too far into it, because I guess in theory, whenever they whenever they do play their bowl game, they're going to have to go through all that stuff anyways and make sure they they test out and be fine. But I don't know. I mean, I want them to I play just, Texas A&M in the Cotton game. Bowl. Yeah. I want to see that quite a bit, even though I don't think it would be the I think it would be the Sugar Bowl in that scenario. Um, well, no, the Sugar Bowl is a play as a semifinal this year, yeah, so it would be it's the a Cotton playoff bowl. game. Yeah. Um, that's what I want to see. That is that's kind of my that's that's my dream for the postseason. I I really want to see Texas A and M. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I'm confident. Yeah, so that, I don't. I, I don't. I don't. I think Texas A and M is Texas A and M. They're the same team they've been the last four or five years. They've just so a season ago A and M plays Oklahoma State in the bowl game, and then a year later they'd play Oklahoma in a bowl game. That'd be pretty interesting. Back to back old Big Twelve games. Um, all right. Anything else you want to talk about? No, not really. I, I mean, I guess it's just kind of be really. I'm really curious to see what's going to happen with with Ohio State moving forward because the you know it looks like they're going to get their game in this week against Michigan State, but um, Michigan just canceled their game this week and they've totally shut down their facility. So it is a it's it's definitely a question whether or not that game is going to happen. And if that game doesn't happen. Ohio State is not eligible for the Big Ten championship game. Um, so, and that's it. Would be Indiana, I think, versus Northwestern in the in the big in the Big Ten championship game in that scenario. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! And uh, that's I. You know, it's I feel terrible for the Ohio State players, and you know, and, and also the staff too. You know, who wanted to play the entire season. Um, I there's just there's no tears at all for for the Big Ten at all. This this was something they easily could have avoided. Boy, yeah, and I mean, I had to be reminded this week about you know why there's all of a sudden so many games canceled in the Big Ten. Now, obviously, they're not postponed; they're canceled because they started so darn late, so they can't make them up because there's no time. But also, I I totally had forgotten. That's right, Big Ten. Their COVID rules are so much more ridiculous than everybody else. The the 21 day if you get covid you can't do anything for 21 days minimum so if a lot of players get it where in other conferences and according to cdc guidelines like if you get covid uh and you're either asymptomatic or you have very mild symptoms like the and this may have changed in the cdc this week too but originally it was by the the first day of your symptoms 14 days later 
Uh, no, actually, maybe 10 days. I think 10 days after symptoms begin, it's kind of like when you're allowed to be around people again and you're not, you're not considered to be infectious anymore and you can spread it. The Big Ten was, was no matter what, as long as you tested positive, 21 days. I mean, that's going to wipe out so many people. By the way, I, I, yeah, so I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that's I mean, that's already all these games are getting canceled. Yeah, I mean, there's there's you know, there's there's grumblings that Minnesota hasn't played the last two weeks. There's grumblings. Their season's just over because they have because they've had enough covid cases. And it's that 21 day rule just wipes them out. It's like those guys who have tested positive, if they've tested positive within the last two weeks, they can't come back before the end of the season just based off the rules. <laughs> and so like it's. And so, like when people when people are, are concerned about Ohio State not not playing Michigan next week, that's where that comes from, because the guys who the guys who tested positive for Michigan that forced them to shut down their football facilities, those guys are not going to be able to come back within that window. Yeah. So yeah. it's just uh, it's the Big Ten did this to themselves, and there I mean, and I'll say it, I, we said it a ton at the time. There was you know, it was viable. It was there, uh, you know. A, a window was open to to do this, and they decided not to take it. It's that simple. Yep. It looks, and I mean, this was this was all wholly predictable, and we all we, we did. I mean, we predicted it. This was like when other conferences are giving you a blueprint, they're doing it, and you're sitting on the sidelines. It's almost like, and this is kind of the the sad, uh, really, like it. I think it's. I don't know if it, I don't know how much reality it is, but it's kind of like the glass half empty look. It's almost like the Big Ten officials, whoever made the, the, those decisions, whenever the season started for the Big Twelve, the SEC, the ACC, obviously the ACC in the Big Twelve early. It's almost like the people that uh, you know made those decisions to not play. I, I, it's almost like they were kind of rooting silently for them to, there to be problems, so they would look a lot better for not playing, and there haven't been any problems. And so as time has gone on, they're the ones that continually look really bad for putting themselves in the situation for, uh, quote unquote, being um, cautious or that's not the right way to use that. I didn't use that correctly. I apologize. But uh, being overly cautious for what, you know, or just uh, you know, choosing whatever reason they wanted to choose to, to why they wanted to push the season back. And granted, everyone's got their own opinions on this. But if you listen to this podcast enough, you certainly know our opinion on it. Um, but, yeah, it's just. They, they look so bad and, and the Pac-12 looks really bad at least the Pac-12 grant like you mentioned this last week at least the Pac-12 officials have been kind of flexible and they've allowed allowed teams to schedule non-conference games I'm like hey yeah go go try to play if, if you can yeah That's, at least I they just, got that in the Pac-12 but the Big Ten no I mean yeah it's just yeah it's 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 just really unfortunate there was there was a path available there always was a path available and three conferences chose to to follow that path and two decided way too late and that's that's the story of the 2020 season. And you know, I, I I think it would be really unfortunate if Ohio State was was punished for the Big Ten's you know malfeasance, not malfeasance, but incompetence. But it gets to the point where it's like you know, I mean, Ohio State has had it a lot easier than a lot of other teams this season, and they have not had to to go over the same hurdles as some other teams. And I'm not you know I, I'm not sure it's. I'm not sure. Like I, I can, I can realistically say that Ohio State would be would be deserving to get in if their best win is over Indiana and Northwestern. I, I just, I, I don't. But also, you know, I, I'm sympathetic to. I, I, I'm sympathetic as well because I, I, I do think they're really good, and I, you know, if you are trying to pick the four best teams, 
it's just a mess. It's a it's a total mess that the adults in the room could have prevented uh, in July and August, and they chose not to. I think that's a good place to end it. Time for us to shut down the show for today. Hopefully, everyone enjoys the Oklahoma Baylor game on Saturday. Send all your positive vibes to Norman, as all, obviously all of us uh, want to see that game being played. And as of now, as we record this, it looks like it's on. And uh, I know Grant and I are feeling pretty confident that it will be played. We'll be back next week to break it all down and talk about whatever else is going on in the world of college football. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.